Hello, my name is Sam Clements and welcome to this special spotlight episode of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest, the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. Usually, on our full episodes, we will invite a guest to select a film that they'd like to add to our fictional film festival, and we'll, we'll have a chat about it. But this is a bonus episode, so on this episode, you will hear a Q&A that I hosted at the Sundance Film Festival London back in June with filmmaker Max Walker-Silverman, whose new film, the 81-minute long film, uh, A Love Song, had its UK premiere at the festival, and Max was there in person to talk to us for this podcast. This was recorded on stage, so thank you to everybody who came. You can hear the audience from time to time, uh, which is very pleasant. And a big thank you uh, to Max for taking the time and, and joining us on stage for this Q&A. So without further ado, Max Walker-Silverman talking about the 81-minute-long film, A Love Song. <laughs> Let's try again. Hello! <laughs> and welcome to the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest. My name is Sam Clements, and this is the podcast that celebrates films with a 90 minute or less runtime. Really, it's the only runtime for films. Anything longer is dead to me. In each episode, uh, a guest will join me on the podcast, select a film, add it to our ongoing fictional film festival. Today, because we're at the Sundance Film Festival London, live on stage at Picturehouse Central, uh, we're going to talk about a real under 90 minute film with the filmmaker himself. So please join me uh, in welcoming Max Walker-Silverman to the stage. Hello. Yeah, so normally we would say, you know, what, what sort of under 90 minute film actually add? But you, you've actually made an under 90 minute film and it's playing in a film festival. So we're going we're gonna to talk about, about that one. It's basically a festival within uh, a festival. You're in London right now with the movie. Is this your first time in London? I've been here several times, always only for very short trips. First time I've seen it with any amount of sun, which is an entirely different experience. Also the first time I've had everything paid for, which is a much nicer experience. So... <laughs> Uh, the combination of those two things has certainly made this my favorite trip. I really am honored to be here. I'm really thrilled to be here. So so we're in London. We're in the uh, sort of London-based spin-off of the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, normally in Utah, it's the Frasier uh, to the cheers of the uh, the Utah edition. Is Dad it? likes Frasier best, so hey, that works yeah. for me. It's the, class, it's the classier uh, show. When you were working on the film and, and you got to the point of sending it to festivals, uh, why Sundance? Well, it's a cheap, scrappy somewhat difficult to describe perhaps particular American independent film. And if there's anyone you can hope to appreciate something like that, it, it is Sundance. That's the that's the highest bar for quiet movies, <laughs> uh, affordable movies, if we choose to call them that. And um, yeah, they, they, they really honored us by um, bringing us in and, you know, giving us a sense of uh, importance somehow, um, giving us the stage helping us make some of the money back. All things that are important, trying to make movies. Yeah, there's there's all those jokes about it being the, the 
the family or the cult or uh, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. But it's it's a it's an honor to be whatever little part of it we've been given given this year. Do you remember when the the email came through or the the letter that they send a carrier pigeon, a telegram? How how do you get notified that your film uh, is going to join the Sundance Film Festival? Um, I got a got a call from John Nine, one of the programmers, and. You start picking. You start yeah around around that that part of early November. You start picking up unknown numbers and having to deal with like the consequences of that. But no, got a got a very nice call from John Nine. Said he'd be thrilled to have us out in Utah. Said you know tried to play it cool and said we'd think about it. Or something. no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> it, it's really nice and it's. It, I mean, truth be told, on movies like this, the core challenge is that no one is getting paid properly. People are doing it because they love it and they care about it, which is why I'm I'm doing it too. But one always has and one always should have like a certain sense of guilt that like from a labor perspective, it's not really, it's not ideal. It's not entirely healthy. It's not a way for careers to be built. It's not, it's hard for people with kids to do these sorts of things. It's hard for people with mortgages to do these sorts of things. It's hard for people with debt to do these sorts of things. So you're always looking for ways to to validate and to show appreciation and to help people feel like they're getting something out of it. Um, and that starts with hopefully a nice time on set. But when you get these sorts of laurels, uh, digital or metaphorical or whatever they are, the sweetest thing is being able to share that and and to see the satisfaction that that brings people who helped on it. It's sort of the gateway to to starting to get audiences in to watch the movie, isn't it? Like that's the the first point. Okay, there's gonna be an opportunity for you to watch it for the first time uh, at Sundance. Yeah, and and just to allow to allow the people who who worked on it, who put their labor into it, who put their money into it, who put their time into it, to have something to brag to their parents about, basically. And of course, uh, I think Sundance Utah was was going to be in person. It almost happened, but Omicron became a thing and it was cancelled so you had your premiere online but I think it did mean more people around the world got to see the film do you remember that night where you know the, uh, a love song was scheduled to to play to people's sofas yeah I wound up having a very strange and, and special <laughs> experience of my own enough enough people in the crew and I'm not I think I'm not unique in that even with the filmmakers here in London had already booked and paid for exorbitantly expensive trips to Utah that are certainly non-refundable um, so it was decided to go out there. Uh, oh wow! You know, and you know, I'm from Colorado, so it's not all that much of a trek. And we rented a screen. We had a showing for a lot of the crew and a lot of the investors who were there. With some, we had some Domino's pizza <laughs> and warm beer because you can't buy cold beer in Utah at liquor stores. Uh, anyone plan ahead. Good travel tip that. And then we drove back to my hometown in Colorado and did the same thing in our local theater for local family and friends and. It's a nice way to kick it off with some sympathetic audiences. Looking, you can still love something ain't there no more. Ma'am, we was wondering if you might be willing to move your trailer. Someone's expecting to find me at this one. Fair point. We'll see you then. Howdy. You know me? I don't know. You know me? It's a film that follows this character, Faye, played by Dale Dickey, whom I consider a real legend, as she waits for a sweetheart from her childhood, and then they spend an evening together in this trailer by a lake, and it's a reflection on love and loss and land and rebirth, 
and the different way love can come into our lives, come out of it, affect it, both anticipated and otherwise. It's pretty much her film and then their film, her and Wes Studi, um, with the exception of a few other campers around the lake. But it's it's the sort of place that's like very beautiful but very rugged. People are unlikely to wind up there all that intentionally, unlikely to wind up there entirely by accident either. Takes a particular type. So you get ostensibly very different sorts of people washed up in these places, but by the very fact of, of being in a place like that, they're gonna share something, or so I hope. And I hope that's honored however modestly in the movie that's the, the sort of fun uh bit about the setting and i love like you know road movies or, or road movies set in sort of deserts and, and, and sort of set in the countryside because there's fewer distractions and the characters have to talk to each other and you know they're, 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 there's fewer people around to interact with so and, and i think you do it so well in the film you know there's some quite deep conversations but the setting really you know lends itself to having that yeah, I mean, when you're in a place that quiet, it's not just that you might interact with more people. It's that you have, like, yeah, this is why cities are lonely to me. But in in a place like that, you you have to talk to everyone you see. It would just be insanely weird not to. Um, <laughs> you, you never have to do that in a city. You know, I, I lived in New York for for a few years for a graduate film school, and I admired it and I appreciate it. I'm grateful for my time there, but it was also the loneliest I've ever been. Um, and and I know that just takes some getting used to, and it's a different different bit of life. And for other people, that's not how it is. I think there is a warmth in, in quieter places that I, I wanted to get some little piece of on screen. I think we should talk about the elephant in the room, Max. So the film is 81 minutes long. Beautiful runtime. I think it's the shortest feature in this year's uh, Sundance Film Festival. So that's, a, that's an accolade. Why is there no award for that, organizers? Come on. Yeah. So corrupt. <laughs> Yeah, because you wrote this film, you've directed the film, you've been involved in this the whole sort of uh, the whole journey. At what point do you even think about what the f- how long the finished film might be? Well, the rule of thumb is that it's supposed to be a page of script per a minute of film. You start with that, and then as you make stuff, you start to realize what your own rhythms are. And with my, I'd done short films before this. And I was tending to get thirty percent more runtime than page count or so. And I think this script was 60 pages or something. So I thought we'd hit 90. We almost could have been out of your reach. Ah. <laughs> um, it was my first feature, I suppose. So, so that, that those nine minutes just get chalked up to, to inexperience. I liked the idea of it being short only because I've hardly ever seen a movie that wasn't too long, frankly. Um, and I think the first movie I saw that wasn't too long was Aki Karazmaki's Leningrad Cowboys Go America. I think it's one one seventeen. Oh, hello. Pretty sweet. Um, so that's inspiring. And then I've also I, I like the expression that film is just the business of stopping people from going to the bathroom for two hours. <laughs> I figure it's easier to stop them for eighty one minutes than one hundred and twenty. I give myself the best chance to succeed as possible. Absolutely. I think um, you know as long as the film doesn't feel like it outstays its welcome, and I love it when a film leaves you wanting more. And I, I think I definitely had it uh, with this uh, with this movie. Do you ever look at the back of a DVD box to see how long a film might be or, or sort of look at the theater listing runtimes? Of course, absolutely, all the time. Yeah, you're always you're always looking for a reason to either watch or perhaps not watch something and, and <laughs> that can certainly kick in there. The first time I remember having to do that was when I would try to we had we had James Bonds on VHS and I would every time my parents left the house I would see try to watch a, a James Bond movie. And so I had to know how long the movies were for how long they were gone and when I had to 
turn them off and like pretend I was just like looking at an atlas or something. <laughs> Definitely doing my homework. I'm not watching Moonraker. No, no. I'm not watching Octopussy. <laughs> Let's go back to sort of the, the beginning of, of making this film. You were a film student at NYU. Um, is that where you met a lot of your collaborators that went on to, to make this movie? Yeah, this movie is it's not just a small runtime. It's a very small crew. Perhaps those feed into each other at some point. I have a kid I grew up with in Colorado, Jesse Hope, who helped me produce my short films, who produced this as well. My parents helped a great deal. Um, other friends and neighbors in Colorado just chipped in a lot. We were in a bubble, so we needed to be like brought supplies and food and film from the outside world. Um, but then as far as the crew in the bubble, outside of me and the actors, there were like eight of them maybe, almost all from my friends from film school. That's, that is the nicest thing about this job is that you get to work with your friends if you choose to and if you fight to and if you do the things that are required to, to make that work. It's the nicest thing. Yeah, it's like it's the only job you do it 21 days a year and call yourself a professional every three years. And it's the only and, and where you get to import your friends to like your town in Colorado and pay them modestly to hang out with you. It's really sweet. And I love that. You wrote the, the script as well. Did you tell them you were writing a screenplay uh, at the point or do you sort of like to keep that, you know, just to yourself until it's ready to uh, to share? The, the idea had been in my head for a while. Pretty kind of all came to me on a train ride in Poland over the course of like an hour. Although, of course, these, it like is born out of themes you're reflecting on your whole life. But then I, I didn't put pen to paper until spring of 2020, kind of depths of lockdown, which was also when we just graduated from film school. And the combination of those things, you know, there was this moment where it was like, oh, we'll never work. Like, it's just done. Like, film is done. We should have been animators. And so I, I started, I did start talking about it just because I, th I think I wanted something to talk about with these people. We were kind of spread throughout the world and it, it felt nice to have something on the horizon, to have something to look forward to, to have something to pretend to make plans towards, to have something to like help make me feel special. And then you start talking about something and eventually people are going to ask you to ask to read the thing and then you have to actually write it. And, <laughs> and then it's just this weird snowballing of like, once you've actually written it, people are going to start wondering like oh when are we going to do it and then you have to create dates <laughs> and once you create dates like things puzzle pieces keep keep falling onto the table and, and finding their place um it's it's really fascinating what a sense of momentum can can bring to a project even though it was totally feigned mm. um and that's a small lesson of this piece is that i think directors are really a ha actors too maybe this is like i shouldn't be admitting this but but the role you're playing is one of confidence and belief because that's the job. I, I have to believe that I'm not the only one who is often like kind of forcing that because it's confusing and scary and you don't know what you're doing. Um, but people need to have some sense that somewhere something's going on that's bigger than just the sum of all the little parts that everyone else is working on. So um, that's part of the job. 
you sort of had your, your collaborators from film school sort of in place. And I guess when you start talking to them about a film, they're like, well, maybe I need to dust off my camera and start thinking about some production design parts. But, uh, but in terms of raising the budget, it sounds like this all came together really quickly. Yeah, I'm sure I'll never have such a smooth and easy experience ever again. And people kept telling me that throughout this whole thing. <laughs> Don't forget this, Max. Yes. <laughs> it's not like this. This isn't real. So once you've got your, your money, you have to make the movie. It's happening now. But of course, you need your actors. And we saw we saw one of the sort of key cast members on screen there, Dale Dickey uh, and Wes Studi is, is the other co-star. Two amazing actors who are in so many things. How did you go about finding your cast? I wrote the movie for Dale Dickey. Oh, wow. She was in my head from the very beginning, the only person I'd ever pictured for it. This was without knowing her or knowing if she would want to do it or knowing if it would even be reasonable or feasible or I suppose a good idea, but need to picture something. And in picturing her was like, was so inspiring to me because she's such a unique, miraculous, like presence on film and more bluntly, just like looks like someone I grew up with, looks like my neighbor out there, or my aunt or, you know, someone who was like part of shaping me and part of my life. And, and I loved the idea of a tough looking person in this very sweet, very gentle role. That's the whole point of the movie. It's tough people in tough places living vulnerably and gently. Eventually sent the script to her and she said yes. And I'd still never met her at that point. And we had a phone call. I was very nervous and I like drank a couple beers and I was walking around trying to get ready for it and totally unsure what to do. And then right before it, she sent me a text that was like, very full of emojis. <laughs> I, th- I knew it would be fine. And she's like really the sweetest person I know, really the nicest person I know. And thank God, because we would have really been in trouble. Um, otherwise it was, we had a nice time out there, but it was a small funky shoot. And mm. I think for a lot of actors showing up and seeing like seven kids um, setting up lights in a barn for like the main kissing scene would have been pretty unnerving on the phone to their agent (laughs) yeah yeah but she's a remarkable soul and Wes Studi another real legend I thought of similarly in that so much of the film is pretty quiet and there's not a lot of backstory so it seemed really important to have honest feeling actors who whose presence can communicate that can sort of tell you even spiritually, like who these people are, where they've been, and most importantly, what they've been through. And he brings that, and he brings that wild and alluring combination of toughness and tenderness that's at the heart of it. And also just, just yeah, it's, it's, the whole thing is just story of luck, I think. You know, he also just said yes, and he and Dale had never met before, but they were great. They're just great to have around, grateful to him for lending so much to the project. I always find with sort of character actors and supporting actors, uh, it's so nice when they do get a chance to play the lead because they've got well so much experience, but they, they're, they're so motive. You know, I think both of their faces and, and their body language is so strong in the film. There isn't much dialogue, but you know, like their faces tell you so much. Uh, it's, it's incredible casting. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it, it's they did a great job, and I know I just I knew they would. I always had faith. You know, even though they in these performances there doing a lot of things they haven't done in any other movies, even though they've done what, like 150 movies between them. So much of it was new, new to them. There was no doubt that they could, they would really bring it, that they really could do it. And I was glad that they were excited to get, to get the chance to do so. 
the film is is shot on a really beautiful 16 millimeter uh, film stock. It looks incredible. Why did you make that decision to to shoot on film and, and not go digital? I really only shot on film, starting with those film school shorts that were also in Colorado, um, with and always with the same cinematographer, my friend Alfonso Herrera Salcedo, a Mexican DP. And I don't know. I suppose we initially started shooting on 16 in Colorado because it seemed cool. But what we discovered is that it fits really well to the rhythms with which we like to shoot. And by that, I mean, there's no generator having to charge batteries. We shoot straight through midday, love shooting hard light on celluloid and really love the way that it holds the highlights. In fact, we, we, we seek it out. We like looking for ways to force the kind of capitalistic rhythms of a film set out of yeah, to to try to look for ways to break that up. So sometimes that means embracing waiting for nature or embracing chasing it, what the sun's giving you, what the clouds are giving you, what the rain's giving you, um, instead of fighting through it and shooting no matter what, which is what most films do and what's expected. We try to give ourselves the option to not have to do that. And that requires keeping overhead really low and keeping a crew size small so that you're not spending, you know, $100,000 an hour by waiting and you can actually do so. In a similar vein, we like the, we like the idea of a take meaning something. It makes rehearsal mean something. It makes take one mean something. It makes take two mean something. And it makes take three mean something. And then there's probably no take four because people are on it and they know that it matters. And, and, and our, and our style, and our style is important to that too. It's not, it's not like a sexy, like, let's just see what happens in this scene. Like, you know, fuck it. Fuck the pages. Just get <laughs> out there and like feel it. It's not like we walk it through and read the lines and not real sexy to talk about, which is probably why people don't usually admit that. But it allows you to make a movie affordably and effectively and to know what you're doing and to know what you're getting. And until I have like some crazy blank check, like that's really important, that that matters. I also think there's just like pretty important moral questions about the amount of money that gets spent on movies that perhaps doesn't have to be. Mm. It's a really long way of saying it, it fits with the rhythms and it fits with the approach and it fits with the location. So A Love Song is in the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, uh, our festival within the Sundance London Film Festival. This festival only shows under 90 minute long films, so A Love Song is amongst friends. And I did wonder, obviously you've been submitting the film to real film festivals, like real film festivals, uh, but my film festival, obviously the, the best one, um, you've been submitting your film to uh, film festivals. And, uh, and I, I wonder actually if you were in charge of how this film rolls out, if you could pick a venue, pick a theater, how would you like to present this film? I, I like the idea, and not to jump into the whole like theatrical, non-theatrical thing too much, but I like the idea of people who want to see it in a theater having the chance to, people who don't have that opportunity having the chance to see it at home as well. I love the movie on a big screen. You know, it's not not too shabby on a laptop either. It comes comes through all right. Just to just to meet people where they're at, I suppose. And big part of what sounds nice about that to me is that it would give it a chance to live outside of London and New York and LA. And I, I like all those cities actually, but I'm not from there. So the idea of it playing elsewhere, very meaningful to me as well. 
Absolutely. I think people, well, first of all, I just want more as many people as possible to see it. So I do hope it plays outside the big cities and it does rock up into smaller towns and, and people get a chance to, uh, to to see it that way. Yeah, I hope. And, and you know, we were working with Bleecker Street in North America and Sony and they've, they've been doing a really cool job playing a ton, a ton of festivals, basically giving any, any festival that wants to show it the chance to, which is really cool because festivals, especially small festivals and regional festivals are a very special thing and like really a cool piece of the circulation of like art communities in all sorts of small cities and big towns and it's been really nice to get to go to some regional festivals and see how deep those communities go and to like parachute in and be a tourist in those places for a moment it gets people talking though and and, you know it sort of starts to ripple I think that's what you need. That's what festivals are for. It's to start the the conversation. I mean, you know, not every film gets picked up at festivals, and I'm glad that you know a love song is out there, and and people will be able to see it. But yeah, big thank you to joining us this morning, Max. So glad to be here. I honestly never, truth be told, I, I would not have known the movie would go around the world and like bring me places and and be shown. It's all so much more than I than I could ever have hoped for. So thank you, thank thank you to all of you. I'm just so so delighted to be like on for the ride it's not always going to be this this nice but it's very nice right now well when you when your next one's ready let us know and i'm sure we'd uh, we'd gladly uh, have you back here in pitch house central nine, 90 minutes or less uh, yeah just keep it under don't 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 do a 93 minute long film <laughs> i don't, I don't want to see your dark side <laughs> uh, i think on that note a big round of applause please uh for max walker silverman <laughs> thank you very much max thank you thanks everybody Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or if you've got a mo, share an episode with your friends. Every recommendation helps. You can contact us on our website, 90minfilmfest.com, and on Twitter and Instagram, at 90minfilmfest. The podcast is produced by me, Sam Clements, and Louise Owen. It's edited by Louise Owen, with sound mixing and additional editing by Luke Smith. Our music is by Martin Ostwick, and our artwork is by Sam Gilby. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We're a proud member of the Stripped Media Network.